So we find ourselves at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 this morning. Now, if we're honest, most people probably think a little more highly of themselves than they ought to most of the time, if we're honest, okay? We talk a great game, um, but the reality is that's not how we respond when things get real. So uh, we were kind of drawn to the story of Jesus and Peter, and it's right before Jesus is about to be crucified, and Peter finds himself uh, standing with Jesus and talking to him and saying, hey, if all the other disciples leave, I'm going to go with you to prison and even to death. And Jesus reminds him that before the night's even over, he's going to deny him. And the reality is, is here is the thing that we should focus on. Jesus says to Peter, Satan has demanded to have you. I want you to think about that, that if you are a Christian, that there might be Satan looking at your life and demanding to have you because he wants to sift you like wheat. Pay no attention to what's happening in the nursery. (laughs) But it says this, but Jesus has prayed for us. And that's an incredible thing. I mean, what Dave read for us from John 17 is Jesus is telling us if we are his, he is praying for us. And what an incredible gift that is. And he's praying this very specifically, that our faith might not fail. Now, I, I wanted to set that up because, again, as if you've been here for a few weeks, you know, the Second Thessalonians chapter 2, it's a hard chapter. Paul's trying to to get the Thessalonians to understand that they haven't missed it. Jesus hasn't come back and they missed it. But he's saying, hey, all these things that you, these trials and tribulations you're going through, they've been really bad, but I want you to understand it's going to get worse. But here's what he reminds them. And these are the words that Jesus gives to the apostle Paul to give to the Thessalonians to stand firm. Listen, now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself And God our Father, who loved us, and he gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, may he comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and every good word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do come before you. And Father, like with the Apostle Paul, Lord, we hear these words and we give these words Because we need to hear these words of comfort, Lord, maybe even more than normal this week. So, Father, make them very real to us. May we understand the truths that happen within the course of these two little verses. And may we apply it and live it out so that we might come and worship you because we understand the great love and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. For this we pray in his powerful name. And in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to be looking at, it's actually one sentence in the Greek. We put it into two verses, but it's one sentence that the Apostle Paul gives to the Thessalonians. And so the first thing he begins to do is he starts to give praise and glory to the source of our blessings. Because that's what this is. It's, it's a blessing to Paul. It's actually a prayer for blessing. From Paul to God. Now, the reality is, is a lot of times, if we're honest, we start to look at worldly blessings. 
And sometimes we think that if we have possessions, that somehow those blessings are the blessings that God gives us. Now, a lot of times, though, if we're honest, a lot of times we think that we're the source of blessings. We're the ones who earn the money. We're the ones who give the gifts. We're the one who gives possessions. We're the one who buy the possessions. But yet we can kind of say, hey, yeah, well, God gave me this. God allowed me to have this. Okay? Now, the reality is... Um, that kind of skews things because again, sometimes we start to think that possessions are the blessings of God and that's not the reality. And so God allows us to go through a lot of natural things and that's why he he does bring some natural disasters to us. He allows things to go because um, it brings us to a place where we start to say what is most important. And we all recognize this. I mean, especially us in Florida, especially when hurricanes come and you start to, to pack up your belongings. And again, if you've lived here and you've gone through multiple hurricanes, I think those possessions get smaller and smaller. Okay. So you wait a little bit longer to leave. You, you get um, the smaller car. You're not, you're no longer trying to go out and finding a U-Haul so that you can take your whole house. Okay, but you find yourselves condensing down. But if you got to the place where you had to say, well, it's either the China or grandma. Now think about that. All of us would say, you got to leave the China. Now I know it might be a struggle for some of you. But the reality is, is relationships are more important than the possessions. And so God is setting up us in a situation here where, again, we're having to assess what's more important, our relationship with Jesus Christ and God the Father or the worldly possessions. Now, the Apostle Paul does something unique here. We're going to make a little hiatus. Another, In essence, it's going to be a mini-sermon. Because what we need to do is we need to look at Jesus because there's something unique that Paul does here. Because Paul puts Jesus first. Hmm. Now, why is that important? Because this is truly one of those areas of theology that this is, I would say, a hill to die on. Now, now what do I mean by that? See, Paul was a Jewish Pharisee. So for Paul to put Jesus Christ on par with God, meant that he was making a statement that it is Jesus who is God. Now, this is quite unique, and it's a big deal because, listen, the resurrection only happened 20 years earlier. So for Paul to make a statement and and say in Scripture that Jesus was on par with God, that therefore he has the full divinity of God, is a big deal. Now, for us to understand, we have to recognize that what Paul is saying here, but what's most important, why it's a hill for us to die on, is Jesus has to be God. There is the reality that the foundation of our faith is we have one God and three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, you might find yourselves in an argument with somebody, and this would be a very true statement. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus ever say that he was God. Nowhere. So does it mean that Jesus never claimed to be God? That's false. There are multiple places where Jesus claimed to be God. So I'm going to give you this thing, this acronym called HANDS. Okay, and this came from uh, Robert Bowman and Ed Kamoski, 
And they came up with these five things because they said, this is how you can remember that Jesus is on par with God. Say the first thing is, is that Jesus deserves the honors that are only given to God. So when people came and they bowed down before Jesus and began to worship him, Jesus does not stop them. Now, when the angels did that and people bowed down before the angels because they were frightened, the angels said, stop, you cannot do this. Get up. Jesus never does that. Jesus receives the honor that is only due God. The second thing is Jesus shares the attributes that only God possesses. So Jesus is the only one who can take all of the attributes of God and he applies it to himself. Thirdly, Jesus is giving the names that are only given to God. So the words like Adonai and Yahweh, words that people would not even choose to begin to write. But Jesus allows them to be described unto himself. Jesus also performs the deeds that only God can perform. And then the last thing, Jesus possesses a seat on the throne of God. So all of these things are found within the scripture. And so when people come to you, they begin to argue and say, well, you know what? Jesus never said that he was God. And he said, yeah, but he sure did proclaim it. And let me walk you through the scripture. Because here's the reality. If Jesus is not God, then you are not saved. And we are wasting our time. We should be at Publix buying up all the stuff so we can distance ourselves socially from everybody else, stay in our houses, and just wait to die. And that's the truth. If Jesus is not the Son of God, if he is not resurrected from the dead, if he is not alive, then we are wasting our time. And there's other things I'd rather do. But the truth is that Jesus is alive. And we come to bring him glory and honor because he is God. And so with that little sermon off to the side, the Apostle Paul says, Jesus Christ and God our Father, who loved us and gave himself. Now, he brings us to God our Father and he tells us very clearly, he does two things. He loves us. Now, this is a a big deal because, again, in reality, if you were to think about all the people in your life, most people find themselves falling into a category of probably their good acquaintances. Or, at best, they use you unto a purpose. They're friends when it's convenient. And if you're doing good things, if you're giving out money, if you're helping them out get stuff, if you're helping them on their career or whatever, they're happy to be there. It's when you're in trouble and you begin to ask for something from them, they go, I just don't have the time. I don't have anything to give to you. See, the reality is to find someone who loves you unconditionally, that's very rare. And here on earth, it doesn't exist. I don't care how good of a marriage you have. I don't care how good of kids you have. I don't care how good of relationships you have. It's always tainted. There's only one that is perfect. And we learned that last week. God's love is perfect to us. And it's perfect from the beginning before the foundations of the world. And will always be perfect. His love never changes. 
And so we have to remind ourselves of, of this passage in Isaiah 43, 2 through 4. And when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And though the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I, the Lord your God. Listen, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior, I gave Egypt as your ransom. Cush and Seba in exchange for you. And I'm straining with my eyes. Because you are, listen, precious in my eyes and honored and I love you and I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. And we've got to grow in that love. We have to remind ourselves that it is God who loves us that perfectly. We are precious in the eyes of God who spoke all of creation into being. He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And we've got to grow in that understanding. Not only does it say that God loves us, but it says he also gave us. Now, what, what did Jesus give us? He tells us clearly in Plastic, he gives us eternal comfort and good hope. And we'll look what that means. But also, I want you to remember the John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And again, this is a love and a giving I don't understand. Because again, there's, there's a lot of people I love in this room. There's a lot of people that I like very much. There's a lot of people that I would do a lot of things for. Not give up my children. Never. And so the love that God has, the, the amount of giving that God has is beyond our comprehension. Because, listen, God didn't need us. He doesn't need us. God had perfect fellowship in the Trinity. He would have been fine for all eternity. So why does he give his son for sinners? Simply because he loves us. And so it's with that understanding that, again, we have to remind ourselves that what Paul is asking for is he's saying, I want to remind you of a couple things, but I also want to tell you what I'm praying for. And the first thing he does, he reminds us of past blessings. And he says, you've had eternal encouragement. Now, this means that it's, it's, it's a comfort. And we all understand that. Like, when a child gets hurt, what's the first thing they do? They run to a parent. They run to someone that they can find comfort from. And that's what we're allowed to do with God. When we find ourselves in the greatest distress, and again, what Paul, what Paul has said to the Thessalonians, he's saying, it's going to get worse. It's hard. I know it's hard. So where are you going to run? Are you going to run to the world? Are you going to run to, to the Romans? Who are you going to run to? And I'm telling you, the only one that you can run to and find comfort from is your heavenly father. So run to him in the midst of your distress and pain. And when you find it there, understand that it's not a temporary encouragement. It's eternal. And so he says, here's where you run. So in the midst of all your trials and tribulations, run to God, take it to him. And then what he says is you will have good hope. Now, I want you to understand, this is the only place in scripture where it's written the word of good hope. It's talking about all sorts of different other hopes and all the other scriptures. But this is the only place that it's said good hope. Now, I think that one of the commentator writers is, is correct in this because good hope was found in pagan writings during this time period. So what does that mean? 
Let me put it in our, in our vernacular. We know that we have people, when we go to funerals, and they will say whether that person was a Christian or not a Christian, they don't know, but they will always make statements like this. I know so-and-so is looking down on me from heaven right now, and they're with me all the time, and they're my angel and stuff like that. And that sounds really great, doesn't it? Well, here's a problem. What about sin? It's not easy believism. Not everybody who dies goes to heaven. Well, pastor, we know that people like, um, you know, the really bad, bad people, the Stalins and the Hitlers, they don't go. But come on, grandma's got to go. No, grandma doesn't have to go. And she didn't know Jesus. She's not. People don't like to hear that. And I'm not going up in funerals and saying, well, you know what? The person in front of us, they're probably in hell. So they're looking up from you right now. And I wouldn't do that. But I also can't give them a surety that their parent or their child or anyone that they are there looking at is in heaven. Except for the Christian. Because it says that they have good hope in grace. Good hope in grace. Because here's the reality is that we have to talk about grace in two different ways. The first thing is saving grace. So there is the reality that this is, if you have received grace from the Lord and you know and you have a desire to please the Lord, then you are probably saved. And that saving grace is a gift. It's not a loan. It's not something you have to pay back. It's not something where you have to say, well, as long as I go out and do good things now, as long as I live a good life, as long as I do all these kind of things, well, then he's going to continue to love me. No, it's a gift. It's free. And it's yours to keep forever. And not only is it a gift, but it comes at a cost to the giver. When you receive a gift, it comes at a cost to the giver. Right? What does it say in 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich Jesus gives up his glory remember Dave read for that out of John 17 father I gave up my glory I humbled myself I came I lived here I did what I was supposed to do So that everyone that you'd given to me will be with me in glory. And so he says, this is the gift you've given me. And it costs Jesus his life. And so at the cost of the giver, but the third thing he says is it's unmerited. You can't do anything to deserve the gift. It's not like he gives you this the key to the city and says, well, look at here. We have... I was going to use Brandon. I'll use Brandon. Brandon deserves the key to the city. Now, what Brandon would have done to earn the key to the city, I don't know. But he would have done something. And so we would have given him the key to the city. But that's not how grace works. It's unmerited. There is nothing inside of you that gives God the reason to give you this. It's his choice. And so we have saving grace, but we also grow in grace. Well, what does that mean? It means that we grow in fellowship with God. That's the first thing. We grow in intimacy. So again, we go through discipline and training because our desire then becomes a a situation where we want him to be honored. I mean, have you seen that? I mean, the thing that I get to, that I enjoy is is, because I've gotten to do some marriage counseling for people who are premarital counseling, but I've also had people who come in in their 80s. Now, when someone comes in their 80s and they're asking for marriage counseling, 
your ears perk up a little bit. What the heck is going on after 50 plus years of marriage that you haven't figured out? But the reality is, as I, as I talk to those people, it's things of how can I honor someone more? It's not how can I live for myself? It's they're looking at each other and saying, Hey, how do I, how do I love them the way that I'm supposed to love them? How do I listen to them the way I'm supposed to listen to them so that they know that they're treasured more than anything else in the world? It's the same kind of thing with, with God. The more that we grow in our understanding of grace, the more we want him honored and glorified because the bigger that grace becomes to us. And so we grow in our fellowship with God. We grow in our spiritual riches. There's comforts, he says, that he brings to us and encouragements. The understanding of the word here is like a, a buttress. It's helping our walls to stand. It's the things that we sit, look to. It strengthens our walk. So that when we come in hard times, we know where we run to. And it also, listen, allows us to be gracious to other people. And that's why I put up the Matthew. I I really want you to turn to this or at least write it down so you can look at it later. But it's a story that many of us know as the parable of the unforgiving servant. Remember, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me that I have to forgive him? That's a typical response, right? Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother or sister before I get to beat them up? What does Jesus answer? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Then he goes to the parable. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything, which he couldn't. And out of pity, out of pity, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you, which he could. And he refused and went and put him into prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have mercy on your fellow servant and that I had mercy on you? And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now listen, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. See, the reality is, is again, we grow in graciousness with God, which means we begin to forgive other people for a whole lot more and not become self-righteous. See, God didn't ask us to come into this building perfect. He didn't ask us to come and get it all right. Jesus asked us to come and meet him where we're at and let Jesus... Decide what needs to happen, not you. And the reality is the more that you see your sin, the more that you'll be able to forgive others. The more you see your sin, the greater you'll be able to forgive others. So that's what's growing in grace. And the Apostle Paul says, you guys have learned that, Thessalonians. You've learned that God is this great encourager to you. He is the person who has given you comfort and blessings. He's allowed you to grow in grace. And then he says, now this is what I'm going to pray for you. And this verse is 17. It's a prayer of blessing. And so what he says is he says, I want God to comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. 
Now, I want you to be very mindful of this because, again, he prays for comfort. And he's praying this, again, and I want you to understand that this is an antithesis to the Antichrist. Okay, so the Antichrist, remember, we looked at that list. He comes to deceive. He's going to be someone who is going to destroy. He's going to be someone who lies. He's going to be someone who's going to be looking to be praised and glorified. Okay, all these things are what the Antichrist does. So Paul is praying, I want you to be an antithesis to the Antichrist. I want you um, to receive the comfort from the Lord. Now, I want you to also understand what he doesn't pray is he doesn't pray, and, he, and Jesus doesn't pray in, in John 17, for us to be removed out of the world or out of the circumstances. He doesn't pray for that. He says, in the midst of circumstances, may you find strength and comfort. So again, God's not always going to remove you from your horrible situations. But he is going to pray that you find comfort and peace. It's like when you find a plant in the desert. How is that thing there? Because it finds the water in the hardest place. That's someone who begins to grow and grasp and understand what it means to be in Christ. And so he says, I want them to be comforted and to find pleasure in the Lord. So as we understand that God provides for us, we now seek to honor him in all things. It's our desire. And the second thing that he says is he wants us to be equipped. He wants us to be equipped by the word of truth. He wants us to be um, hanging tight. And we talked about that last week. Remember the pilot who, who uh, leaned on the door on, on the, the flight and falls out? And for 10 minutes he flies holding on to the, to the door handles. Until he lands, his head a foot above the ground. And they had to literally pry his hands off. we got to hold tight to the word of God because that's where we find truth. And we need to be growing in that. And not only do we grow in that truth, not only do we apply it in our lives, but it tells us to proclaim it. How will they know? Unless we go and tell. So we need to proclaim the truth in the word of God. And then the last thing we need to do is we need to have a work of righteousness. And what does that mean? It means we actually need to live out the word. Live it out. People should be able to see and hear from us the hope that we have. Which means that there are things that we need to be doing for our community. There are things that we need to be doing for our neighbors. There are things that we need to be doing. God tells us that. Where do we find that? Matthew 25. Sorry, I'll give you that. Works of truth, works of righteousness, write it down. And here, Matthew 25. Again, a very well-known passage where Jesus separates the sheep from the goats. Starting at verse 34. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and fed you? Or thirsty and gave you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcomed you or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison or visit you? And the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. But then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed ones, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. 
I was a stranger and did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into an eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, the reality is, is we're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. But when we're saved by grace, it changes us to where we want. We want to honor and please. And we give ourselves away in honor to the Lord. So let make this very practical. How will you know someone's difference in regards to this coronavirus? The people who don't know Jesus, they're going to hoard everything because they're not going to know the end. Will you give me something to eat? Well, I don't know how long this is going to go on. And we got to take care of me and my family. So you know what? No. (laughs) No, I won't give you anything. But I really need help. I thought you said you were a Christian. (laughs) But I have to be wise. I got to take care of my own. It's a very dangerous place to be. Very dangerous. See, Jesus says to us very clearly, to the least, to the least, we want to so glorify and so honor. And, and please understand, don't, don't think I'm saying here that you have to go home and give away all your supplies. That's not what I'm saying. The question I am asking is, your, are you even praying about it? I'll do, I'll confess my sin before you. When I was in seminary, I had my wife, and at that point I had two little girls, an infant child, Victoria, and a very stubborn Elizabeth, two-year-old. And I had a friend who worked at a bar, and that's how he made his money to pay for seminary, but his purpose there was to talk to people as they came in. And so uh, one of the people came in, and he was of the homosexual persuasion and came to Christ. And so his lover was kicking him out of the apartment, and he needed a place to stay for a few days. And so my friend came to me and said, can he stay with you? And I didn't pray about it, and I said, no, because I was being wise. I've got a wife and two young daughters. He can't be in my house. Didn't even pray about it. But I made a decision by human standards. You can't come here. Now maybe God would have told me, no. Don't let him come here. Provide a different way. But again, the hesitation for all of us should be, are we asking God, are you the most glorified and honored by what I'm about to do at this moment. Because he will give. And he'll provide the answer. So make your theology real. Live it out. Because people are watching. And so is Jesus. And he looks at us and he says, I've given you great comfort. I've given you my son. Don't worry. Have no fear. For I am with you. To the ends of the earth, I'm with you. Amen? Let's pray. Father, again, we 
end with where we started. We talk a great game. And I can talk that I would so quickly give away the treasures of my home to so many other people so that they might live. Maybe right until the time that someone asks. And so, Father, we know we're not held by guilt and we know that we're not saved by what we do. But, Father, we do know because we are saved, we're saved unto good works. And we're saved to be a blessing. We're a blessing to a dying world around us. So, Father, would they know that we are Christians by our love, that we would give maybe even to the point where it hurts so that you might be glorified and honored, knowing, knowing full well that you've given to us everything, everything we've ever wanted and so desired in your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, truly change us. Speak to us in a very real way so that we might look more like Jesus because we came here this morning than if we hadn't. And then, Father, send us out into a world that's hard, but give us the words to proclaim and the deeds to perform so that people might be drawn to you so that they would hear the good news and come and worship you as we do today. For we pray all of this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen.